This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is Travel Tuesday. We'll talk about the best way to take some big trips if you're looking to do that in 2022. Also, the best travel credit cards to take advantage of all of those miles and points that you get. Some shortages at area liquor stores. Is COVID and supply chain to blame? Also, what we can expect for gas prices coming up in the new year. That's in our next next segment. Right now, a monster year for home prices. Joining us to talk about it, Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, it's always good to have you on the show, so uh, kind of give us the lowdown on what's going on with home prices this year. Yeah, thank you, Cisco, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and to uh, all your listeners. Um, home prices actually were up strongly again, although uh, they have been decelerating slightly for the past four or five months, depending on the uh, the way you actually calculate it. So uh, home prices are still strong, still going up at pretty strong double-digit rates, uh, almost 20% rates. But there there is some hint that they are uh, slowing their rate of ascent. And do we expect this to just keep continuing here as people are thinking about what happens to home prices in the new year? Uh, I don't see how that can happen. I mean, the home prices are high. Uh, we're looking for the Fed to start raising rates. And so between the high home prices and uh, mortgage rates starting to drift higher, you're going to start to squeeze affordability. And um, I mean, as it is, one of the big problems with buying a home isn't just affording the mortgage payments. It's coming up with that uh, that down payment. So um, I, mean, I think housing is going to have to uh, slow its rate of gain in prices. Talk about, I mean, obviously, maybe buyers and sellers, but just talk about sort of the winners and losers when you have these big boosts in home prices here in one year. Well, you know, the winners are the people who are sitting in homes, who own them, who just bought them this year, who bought them a while ago, and they're looking at those capital gains going up, and the losers are the people on the outside. You know, I can remember my own mom and dad who bought their house back in about 1955, and how they had a house they were looking at, and... uh, they went back a year later after scraping together the down payment. The house price had gone up. They no longer had the down payment. And they were able to cut some deal with the builder and actually buy the house they'd been looking at. But, you know, um, that that's real life. Yeah, and it's something that a lot of people deal with. Uh, talk yeah. about equity. I mean, if if home values and prices go up, mean often you know means values are going up. Does that mean some people who don't have the equity have the equity and can maybe do some of those home improvements? Well, yeah, you can always, uh, you know, unlock the equity in your home if you want. But the thing to remember is that, you know, we, we saw this before. We've seen house prices boom and bust. Uh, we know that house prices don't only go in one direction. And so, you know, be careful if you think you've got a lot of equity in your home and you think you want to unlock it and use it for something. Um, use it for something very wise because uh, 
you don't know what's going to happen and house prices could backtrack. So uh, I'd be very careful about uh, unlocking home equity uh, for other purposes. You know, put the money back in your house. You want to improve it or make it bigger. If it makes more sense for you to, you know, to refurbish your home rather than to move, well, then that, that makes sense for you. But um, I would just say uh, be careful with this because uh, home equity uh, is not a free good. And will those you, you touched earlier on uh, on higher interest rates? Uh, is that uh, sounds like something that's going to bring home prices down, so that equity you have may not be there, even, you know, even this time next year. Yeah, well, I don't think that mortgage rates are going to shoot up sharply. I think they're going to gradually drift higher, and I think that it's just going to be an erosion factor. And uh, and I also think that house prices are already pretty high, and so I think that the uh, I think that the the momentum for home prices is beginning to run into headwinds. Thanks so much for all of your insight. Bob Brusca, he is chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics. A new forecast from Gas Buddy predicts gasoline could reach $4 a gallon by Memorial Day. Patrick DeHaan is senior petroleum analyst at GasBuddy.com, based here in Chicago. Uh, Patrick, help us to understand this here. $4 a gallon gas, I guess it's really not that far from uh, where some of us have been over the last few months. No, that's right, Cisco. And in fact, uh, some of those stations in Chicago are already at $4 a gallon. So that means that prices will press even higher in Chicagoland. And as you mentioned, uh, moving into 2022, oil prices continue to recover. We've slipped back down today to about $75.95 per barrel of WTI. But certainly, I think the opportunity, the climate exists that we could see higher prices in the year ahead as the U.S. economy continues to improve. Motorists continue to get out there. Uh, and we continue now as OPEC has increased production, uh, that has meant that we have less breathing room should demand be very high this year. And it's expected, I mean, you, you, everyone thought, you know, electric automobiles, they're, they're going to take away the demand for uh, for oil. And yet even as that happens, we're talking years away, right, before we see any real big let up on oil demand? Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. You know, uh, some Americans may be going to EVs, but many Americans are going to bigger vehicles that tend to be less fuel efficient. And so overall, the nation continues to consume more gasoline, even as this transition takes place, for simply that reason. A lot of manufacturers have even stopped producing some passenger vehicles in favor of larger vehicles. And so that will likely increase or enhance the dramatic increase that we could potentially see here in 2022. Help people to understand, often when they think of oil, and we give the oil prices here, they just think about gasoline. And yet, if it was just gasoline, uh, it wouldn't be nearly the demand. It's, uh, oil is used just about every area of the economy. <clears throat> That's right. As you mentioned, uh, with the Omicron variant likely easing in the months ahead, and with it less severe, the U.S. is considering reducing uh, the flight restrictions just be- just between the U.S. and South Africa now, as this variant lightens and as long as 2022 bodes well, uh, we're going to be continuing to get back to normal. That is, uh, planes, trains, automobiles, uh, people will be transiting. The economy remains strong, and that's likely behind an increase in consumption across the board. Like you mentioned, not just gasoline, jet fuel, diesel, which powers the economy, all likely to see a boost in demand in the year ahead. Interesting balancing act for the oil companies companies here because when the prices are lower maybe not as eager to pull more out of the ground as the prices go higher they are eager to pull more out of the ground and and that usually seems to keep from seeing these huge swings because they they are uh, deciding even day in and day out how much they're going to bring 
That's right. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, back in the day of 2008, when oil hit $150 a barrel, uh, that precipitated oil companies to spend significantly on drilling for new oil, which didn't come online until years later. Uh, back in the, uh, you know, 2014, 2015 timeframe, a lot of that money started to harvest additional production. And so it's a very boom bust cycle for oil. And we are right now in a boom cycle in which oil prices will likely go up. But I would say as well, 2022 in the latter half will likely finally start to see oil prices coming back down as production responds to those higher prices we anticipate early in the year. Yeah, just so important. Such good insight. Thank you so much. Always good to talk with Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Supply chain issues caused by the pandemic could make the search for champagne to help toast in the new year a difficult one. Joining us with a look at the situation, Carly Katz, the owner of Bottles and Cans here in Chicago. Two locations, one in North Center and one in Edgebrook. Uh, Carly, help us to understand. I mean, are, are you having trouble actually getting product to put on the shelves? So, so as of right now, it's becoming just what the distrib distributors have, like in-house, is essentially what we're kind of looking at as far as orders go. Um, not a lot of specialty stuff. Um, they're, they're having to allocate. Uh, for the first time since I can remember, um, they're allocating things for bars and restaurants and retail so that everyone's kind of getting something. But it's not like the, the way it was pre-pandemic where you order X number of cases of whatever product and that shows up. Yeah, exactly. So what, what kind of historically had been happening is, is distributors are buying straight from um, wineries. Um, so, you know, from Champagne region. And it typically from order to like in-store is about 60 to 90 days. Uh, these guys are now looking at 120 days, 150 days. And that's like with the hope of it getting off of that ship and into the country. Yeah, that's just so weird to think about is the fact that everything that people want, you know, it's, it's literally sitting on a boat somewhere just waiting to be unloaded. Yeah. And then also <laughs> the issue is like not knowing what boats have what on them is also another like chunk of it. Like half of these boats are sitting out there and people are going, oh, that's right. We, we did order that. Um, it's it's bizarre, but everything's everything's out there too. Like the champagne sitting there, uh, glass to do all of this stuff with is going up in price. Like everything is kind of adding to the pain of of waiting for the box of bubbles to come in. Well, because that's interesting because it's not just people think in terms of finished product, you know, cases of right. beer or cases of champagne sitting there, but it may be that places want to bottle their beer, but their bottles are actually sitting on a ship somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, I mean, I, I don't know of anything that isn't being either indirectly or completely directly affected by this. Um, ours is more indirect. Clearly, I, I don't uh, bottle my own uh, champagne or, or can my own beer. But yeah, bottles, aluminum, um, the boxes, cardboard went up in price. Um, and people are kind of waiting for things to, to, to go down before they start doing like mass orders again. And it's um it's a little bit of a mess. So what what do you do as a retailer? Because what you don't want is a case of people coming in and and seeing empty sections of your shelves or something like that. I mean that's not good for business. So so how do you do this given the hit or miss nature of your deliveries? So we're fairly lucky in the sense of a lot of the stuff that that bottles and cans brings in is typically kind of that smaller mom and pop shop that isn't 
being like mass purchased by like some of the bigger stores like uh, the Vuv and things like that, that people kind of traditionally go towards. We do a lot of like specialty champagnes, um, but also to kind of keep price points that make sense for people. Um, instead of buying that $200 bottle of champagne, ours are much more reasonable and still like quality. So for us, it, it was just a matter of making sure that the traditional ones that we have um, were in stock and able to, to bring in. Yeah, supply chain issues, they are certainly affecting everything, including New Year's Eve champagne. Thank you so much. That's Carly Katz, owner of Bottles and Cans, two locations in Chicago, North Center and Edgebrook. You can find them online at bottlesandcanschicago.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Markets are mixed. The Dow up 102. The Nasdaq down 78. And the S&P down three points. Let's see what's going on. Jim Welsh is here. Macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. Uh, Jim, I, I don't know if we want to talk to a guy based in San Diego on a day when we're getting this much snow here in Chicago. It's, it's always perfect in San Diego. Well, not always. Uh, We've been getting some rain, Cisco, and it probably won't get up to 60 degrees. And I know that there's a lot of people feeling really bad for those of us out in San Diego. And I am an ex-Chicago and having grown up in Chicago. So I want to congratulate you on uh, the the snow. But more importantly, uh, Cisco, I just wanted to say for the end of the year, uh, thank you for all the great questions that you asked me during uh, the course of many interviews this year. And more importantly, wish you and all the listeners a happy and healthy 2022. Well, thank you so much. We always enjoy you being on. Good insight here. Uh, what do you make of today? we got a mixed day, but no significant movement on the markets. Yeah, the markets made a heck of a move uh, in, I think, five or six trading days. So I think as we approach 4,800 on the S&P, we're likely to see a pullback of 1% to 2%. Nothing, you know, no big deal, but that could bring the S&P down to the 4,700 to the 4,720 level. And then I expect the market to continue to push higher. You know, over the last month or two, when we've done interviews, my expectation was that we were going to see a pullback to 4550 and then a rally to 4800 to 4900 in the first quarter. And I still think it's, everything is on track for that. And uh, let's talk about some of the sectors as we look forward to 2022. Uh, Maybe a sector or two that you feel is one for people to take a look at in the new year, thinking about moving some money there. Well, here's the thing I would say. The framework that I've been running with uh, Cisco has been, okay, we did a rally up towards 4,900 or so in the S&P. But then I think we're very likely to see a correction of 10 to 15 percent going into the second quarter of next year. So... Um, anything I would recommend at this point in time should be viewed in the context of a trade over the next two to four weeks. So I would stick with technology. If I'm right, we get a one to 2% pullback, look to technology on that pullback, 
But if I'm, you know, if everything continues to fall in line, Cisco, uh, I'm going to get pretty defensive sometime probably January or February uh, if the S&P gets up near 4,900 or so in anticipation of that correction. So I think to answer your question, once we get that pullback, uh, of 10 to 15 percent, that'll be a time to become more aggressive and look to buy some things, uh, you know, that will one will be able to hold for more than two to four weeks. And talk about the, the challenge of emotion in investing. I mean, when, when you get those pullbacks, there's a lot of people that start running for the hills. And yet that's an opportunity to really start looking to do some buying. Yeah, one of the critical things I think people should ask themselves is, I mean, the biggest corrections or bear markets happen when the economy is at risk of a recession or a very significant slowdown. That certainly isn't the case today. Wages and salaries are growing nicely. Uh, consumers are sitting on over $2 trillion worth of savings. So the, the economy, I think, is going to remain healthy. So what that means is any pullback is a correction. And by definition, then, uh, the major trend, the upward trend is still intact. So you're right. I think people you know, have a tendency to overreact because sometimes the news um, is scary, as we've seen over the last two years. Um, but as long as the economy is in decent shape, the market's going to be okay. For people who uh, maybe find a particular sector attractive, and yet they're not feeling confident about individual stocks, so they're uh, ETFs. I mean, is that a pretty yep. good uh, piece of advice? Absolutely, because you can go into the major sectors of the S&P uh, that will have 30 to 40 different stocks. Some of them might have more. So you're really diversifying uh, your risk by going into the sector S&P uh, sector ETFs, and that's the way I do it. Now, I take it a step further, Cisco, in that I measure how each sector is doing relative to the S&P 500. So, for instance, you can buy a sector for small cap stocks, but they've been underperforming for most of the last year and a half. So to me, the key here is identifying sectors and then try to make sure that they're doing as well and ideally better than the S&P. And that way you can have a better chance of doing as well better than the S&P's performance. Thanks so much, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios. Uh, always good insight. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again on the noon business hour in the new year. His website, macrotides.com. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. On this Travel Tuesday, the latest COVID variant has people wondering if the year ahead will be a good time to plan trips abroad. Henry Hardeveld, a travel industry analyst, founder of Atmosphere Research Group in San Francisco. He's here to help us navigate the situation. Uh, Henry, my family and I have been kind of working through this as well, thinking about going to Europe and wondering if we should try. Uh, wh what are you saying to people if they're thinking about a big trip like that in the new year? Well, I'm saying it's okay to be proactive as long as you're prepared to be reactive. At this point, we don't know how Omicron or the broader COVID uh, virus is going to evolve. But uh, if you want to take a trip, uh, to, whether it's to Europe or somewhere in the U.S., go ahead and book it, especially if you find a good fare. Remember, on most U.S. airlines and many foreign flag airlines, you'll get all of your uh, money in a travel credit if you can't take that trip. And is it important to, to look at some sort of fine print? I mean, can people know whether they'll get a travel credit or not based on what goes on when they buy the ticket? 
Absolutely. Always read the fine print. For example, uh, American Airlines was selling a ticket this year that they billed as refundable. But in the fine print, it was uh, mentioned that there was actually a $500 uh, portion that was not refundable. And I know someone who is trying to deal with the airline to get that uh, credit restored. So you do have to read the fine print, um, uh, whether it's for an airline fare, a cruise fare, insurance or anything like that. And when we're talking uh, often about flights, you know, that's, that's what people are really concerned about. Uh, any concern about other things? I mean, I'm thinking hotels, uh, rental cars, that, that sort of thing, if you're booking that ahead of time? Yes, Cisco. So uh, I would tell you that if you are booking a hotel room, uh, if the rate differential isn't that great, don't book a prepaid, non-cancelable hotel room uh, rate because uh, no sense in losing that money. Unlike airfares, hotel rates for refundable uh, hotel rates or changeable rates are usually not that much more expensive. Uh, same with rental cars. Uh, uh, you just don't want to give somebody an interest-free loan of your money when you're not sure you'll be able to use it. Remember, especially with a hotel, in some cases, a, a hotel room uh, a credit is, or a hotel credit is only valid with the property, not always with the brand. Yeah, well, that's yeah, it's very important to know. Um, let's talk about uh, the big overseas trip. Uh, one of the things a lot of people are are really concerned about is what's going on in that country from week to week, and whether you may be all ready to go, but that country may end up changing its restrictions. Absolutely, and that's one of the biggest issues that are keeping people on the fence about booking, and it's very understandable. Right now, we all hope that Europe, Asia, and uh, other parts of the world re will reopen to U.S. visitors by the spring and that we'll have a frictionless travel season this summer. But we can't guarantee anything. So, again, unless you want to give somebody an interest-free loan of your money, uh, uh, you are taking some degree of risk hoping that a destination may reopen. If the destination isn't reopened, uh, though, you can cancel your flight, usually, especially with the U.S. carriers, and, excuse me, and get a, crowd, a credit that you can reuse to travel anywhere else the airline is flying. Just important to be aware ahead of time, it sounds like you're saying, so that people don't get disappointed if they at least understand ahead of time, hey, this is hit or miss, then there'll be much less frustration if anything changes. Absolutely. You've got to do your research, and that's why I started by saying be, it's okay to be proactive, but be prepared to be reactive. Thanks so much. Henry Hardevelt, travel industry analyst, founder of Atmosphere Research Group. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Using travel credit cards can provide several benefits when taking trips. We welcome Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Uh, Ted, before we talk about some specifics of how we, we get benefited by these cards, in a pandemic, is there any difference to how you use these cards or whether you use these cards? Because, I mean, I'm thinking some people just aren't traveling like they were. Yeah, it's a good point. A lot of people have been asking for annual fees to get waived. That's actually a really good tip. That works a lot of the time. Also, a lot of these cards have shifted their structures. So maybe you can get straight cash back at a good valuation on some travel cards. Or I really like what Chase has done with this pay yourself back program, especially on their popular Sapphire Reserve travel card. You can actually get a really good valuation, the same as most travel purchases, if you redeem to offset dining. 
So that's a really good example of travel meeting the everyday during a pandemic. So how do people choose? Because there's so many of them. How do they choose travel credit cards? Because you just Google that. I mean, there's there's dozens and dozens of them, it seems. There are. In general, I would say flexibility is key. So I like the transferable points programs. You're not putting all your eggs in one basket, just like we don't want you to put all of your investments into a very concentrated set. Same goes for travel. So if you get a general American Express card that has membership rewards transferable to more than a dozen airlines and hotels, that's great. Chase has that, too, on many cards with their ultimate rewards program, City Thank You Points, Capital One Miles. The transferability, I think, often works for people. I would really say only get an airline or hotel-specific card if you're really loyal to that specific chain. Yeah, you get a lot of other options, right, if you choose one that is not for one airline or one hotel? It's really great to keep your options open. The only exception is if you truly are a very loyal traveler. If you always fly the same airline, then you may actually want to centralize on their program because you get perks like free check bags and priority boarding. And if you're earning a lot of miles in a currency that you're going to use, then maybe that makes sense. But in general, I think most people are better off keeping their options open. And because they have so many transfer partners on many of these travel cards, and then those airlines may have their own transfer partners, it really just opens up a lot more diversification. So in general, I think broader is better. But for some people, maybe you do double down on a certain airline or hotel if you do tend to use them a lot. Thanks for all the advice. Ted Rossman, an industry analyst at creditcards.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.